So today we have a chance to start into a new series called Somewhere New, Somewhere New. And perhaps this has happened to you before where you're on your way maybe to get your favorite burger or tacos or pizza and you're with a family member or friend and you're, you're ready to go, you're anticipating it and they say, I don't know, I'm kind of feeling like somewhere new. I want to try somewhere new. Or when Cane's came to town, you're like, peace out, Chick-fil-A, we're trying somewhere new. Maybe, uh, maybe they did it for you, and that is the, the better chicken. But it could be a trail, or it could be a park, it could be a new vacation destination. But sometimes these, these little adventures, you know, depending on your relationship with change, uh, can be a big thing or a small thing when you try something new. But what about these bigger adventures in life that might require a little more for us, that might require some commitment, that might affect our day-to-day routines, that might affect the relationships that we invest in or the city that we move to or the gym that we work out at or the hairstylist that you've had forever and you're like, I've had her for 10 years, I can't go somewhere new. (laughs) Some of you might have felt that before. Or maybe the job that we have. I remember the first time, uh, well, my, my first job that I got as an adult, okay, And I was just finishing up my student teaching at Michigan State. And I was with my my best friend in college. Uh, We played volleyball together. And I had been waiting for months for this letter in the mail. This is back in the day when you got letters to tell you about stuff. And um, I was going to start my new job with a sports ministry. And kind of what they did is they placed you on assignment where you would be trained. And I had been waiting to find out where I was going to spend two years of my life. And I had anticipated that it was going to be Ohio where everybody else was going to get trained. Because I thought, well, why wouldn't I get trained there too? I get this letter, and I open it up, and I can still see it to this day in bold italic letters right there in the middle of the page. It says, University of Kentucky. And I said, Kentucky? What's in Kentucky? And I said, Angela, Kentucky? I said, they're not even Big Ten, that's SEC. I said, I don't even know SEC. We're out of the Midwest. (laughs) And there we sat in her gray ghost, which is what she called her gray minivan. You know, those kinds of college mobiles that had like nine lives, thus the gray ghost. And we both started crying because we're like best friends. She's like, I wasn't ready for you to go to Kentucky. I'm like, I know, what's in Kentucky? So sometimes we don't have a choice on our somewhere news that we get um, directed to in life. And oftentimes, these places, these somewhere news, isn't something out there, but it's something more internal, isn't it? It's a place maybe somewhere new in terms of a mindset or emotional health or self-care or our connection with God that we want to go. And... You know, January, you know this, is definitely a time when a lot of people, and maybe you have been thinking through some changes in your life, and there's definitely no shortage of books and podcasts and marketing and social media that will try to convince you that this is the thing, this is the somewhere new that you need to go for this year. Often it requires risk, it will require discipline or steps of faith into the unknown, and uh, again, these, these changes, these unknowns can motivate us or they can paralyze us with fear, depending on kind of how we like to approach change. And I think this, this hits really uh, close to home right now as a church because we're in a season of transition. 
and this transition is all about the journey to somewhere new. I have thought often as I've been preparing with this, this series and somewhere new keeps going in my head, you know, where are we headed? I don't quite know, but somewhere new. Often in my prayers, I find myself praying, Jesus, I didn't know that this is what we would be doing together, but here we are. And today I want to turn our attention to a story when God is ready to take the Israelites somewhere new together, somewhere that they had been waiting to go for a very, very long time, in fact, generations. We're going to be looking at a story in Joshua chapter 3, and so if you have your Bibles or your devices, you can turn there. Now, the book of Joshua starts out right after Moses' death, and if you remember, Moses was the great leader, the great prophet who led the Israelites out of Egypt. And right after that, they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, before his death, he passed on his leadership mantle to this man named Joshua. And if you recall his famous words, be strong, be courageous, do not be afraid, for the Lord your God will be with you. Now, as customary, the Israelites, when someone would pass, would mourn for 30 days. And so this 30 days has passed, and now Joshua's like, okay, it's go time. It's time to move. It's time to move towards the land that God has promised us, that God promised our ancestor Abraham. It's time to go somewhere new, and this new involved the Jordan River. Now, when it comes to miracle stories, I think uh, a lot of us, you know, we want to jump straight to the miracle. We want to hear about the cool story because it's amazing. It fills us with awe and wonder and faith, and we're like, yeah, that's so cool. Or some of us are like, did that really happen? You know, so we get so caught up in the miracle itself. But today, I want us to backtrack, and I want us to spend some time in the moments before the miracle. Because I think it's in those moments right before the miracle that God communicated something very important to the Israelites and he gave some, them some instructions that was significant to the success of crossing the Jordan River and having them being in the right state of mind. So the question is, well, what were they instructed to do? What was the wisdom that they were given? What was their part to play? Now, when I say the Jordan River, I'm not talking about like the White River out here, okay? You know, the kind where you kick off your shoes, you roll up your pants, and you're like, let's hold hands and cross the river. No, this thing was massive. It was massive. And we're going to learn a little bit about how big that was in just a second. So what we know about Joshua thus far, okay, is that, I mean, in my opinion, I think he kind of had a pretty full man card. <laughs> I mean, not to mention uh, the fact that he was the apprentice to Moses himself, says a lot about who Joshua was. But we read over and over again about the fact that he was devoted to God. He, he spent uh, time in the tent of meeting, which symbolized he loved to dwell in the presence of God. He was a man of character and a man of great wisdom. He was with them ever since the exit out of Egypt. And a few of my favorite stories, he was the guy that fought the Amalekites. Do you remember the story when Moses went to the top of the hill? It's kind of a weird one because God said, as long as your arms are raised up in the air, Moses, I'm going to give victory. But when you drop your arms, I'm not. And so his friend, Aaron and her, had to hold up his arms. But guess who was below fighting? Guess who was actually in the brawl? It was Joshua. Joshua was the one. He was the warrior. He was the one that led the way in the fight. 
He also was one of 12 spies that went to go investigate the land of Canaan. And land of Canaan, I mean, everything was like biggie-sized there. And the people were huge. And so when the 12 spies came back, 10 of the 12 were just shuddering in fear. And they said, we feel like grasshoppers. They're so huge. There's no way that we can take them. But there was two guys, Caleb and Joshua, who said, you know what? Their protection is gone. The Lord is with us and he will give us victory. So don't be afraid. Let's go. Those two guys, God said, you can enter into the promised land because you believed me and because you acted in faith. So it's this guy, Joshua, who's ready to lead the people across this Jordan River and into the promised land. Chapter one is uh, the famous chapter of God over and over again saying, be strong and courageous, kind of giving the charge. Chapter two is, you know, this another spy mission um, just to go check out the land of Jericho. And they come back and they say, the people are melting in, the, in fear. God's going to give us victory. And that brings us to chapter three. Now, before uh, we kind of go verse by verse, I just want to read it to you and just sit there and listen. I'm not going to have it on the screen. And it's just five verses. So I just want you to listen to kind of the, the section of scripture that we're going to study to get together, and then we're going to go verse by verse, all right? So verse 1, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out for Shittim, Acacia Grove, and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and a Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, for you have not been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark and do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And there I'm going to leave you on a cliffhanger. So let's jump into verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim, which is also called the Acacia Grove, and went to the Jordan where they wow, went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. So a few things that I want to draw your attention to is number 1, Joshua didn't waste any time. He got up early in the morning and he was ready to lead the people. It was about a day's journey and they get to the um, they get to the river and they camp out for a little bit. Now, something to know about the river, and you'll, you'll read this later on in Joshua, is that it was at flood stage, okay? And so what they estimate, scholars estimate, is that for this piece of geography of where they were camped, the river was at least a mile wide at that point. And that was before any of the water had moved for them to cross over. So a pretty massive, hefty river that these people were camping out by. And estimated about... Two to three million Israelites. That's how many people we're talking about. Probably on the low end, uh, two million. So uh, later on in the book, you, you hear about the, the warriors, the, the soldiers that Jesus sent, or that um, Joshua sent out ahead of time. And so if you take that number and estimate how many women and children would kind of go with that number, they say uh, on the low end, two million or up to three million people. So a mile wide river and 
two million people that need to cross it. And right now they're camping out. So this isn't anything that you could just, you know, get some stuff at REI or Cabela's to help you do this feat. This was something that was going to require a move of God. Verse 2. After three days, officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. They said, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to, what? Move out from your positions and follow it. So the command was, move and follow. Say move. move. Follow. follow. Move and follow. That was the command that he gave. And so, follow what? Well, the Ark of the Covenant. If you remember, the Ark of the Covenant symbolized the presence of God. The Ark was what was housed in the tabernacle, but now they had kind of taken the tour on the road, and so now it was mobile. And so they were to follow the presence of God. Now, I was trying to think, I was trying to conceptualize in my mind, two two million people, I I can't even like conceptualize that. I was curious, okay, well, how big is Indianapolis? Well, I found out that the metro, greater metro area is about two million people. That still wasn't very helpful to me. So then I thought, okay, how many Indy 500s would that be? <laughs> how many of you have been to the Indy 500? A few hands? Okay. Now I saw like on the high end, packed maybe 350,000, like on the high end. So let's go down a little bit and just say 300,000, packed amount of people, Indy 500. So that would be about seven Indy 500s. Of, I mean, that's just crazy of people camped out by this water. So this is going to take an orderly plan to be able to move that many people. And it's kind of comical to me what the plan is so far. The Ark of the Covenant's going to come by. When you see it, move out from your positions, follow it, for you've never been this way before, but stay about, uh, or we haven't gotten to that point yet. They're going to tell them that you have to keep a distance away. Verse 4 He says, then you will know which way to go, for you have never been this way before. And here it is, keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark, and do not go near it. So about 2,000 cubits is about a half a mile. Now, I find it interesting that up until this point, we still don't know how they're going to do it, other than just they're just supposed to follow. But there's still no indication of how. And as I hear this uh, passage read to me, I just kind of hear these words, follow me. Then you will know which way to go, for you have not been this way before. And he adds to keep a distance. And you may wonder, well, why? That seems a little extreme. Again, um, God was wanting to continue to remind them, hey, this is a holy endeavor we're doing. The Ark of the Covenant symbolizes my holy presence. And just to kind of remind them, hey, you have a deep reverence and respect for me. So this was a holy moment for the people of God, and this was a physical endeavor, but more than that, it was a spiritual endeavor. It was a sacred moment, and it was a time of obedience. Joseph was ready to take his people into the land that God had promised them, but there was one more piece of instruction that he had that was super important. And in verse 5, Joshua said, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Now, that's not exactly a word we use very often, consecrate. I mean, parents, you don't 
ask your kids to consecrate themselves when they wake up in the morning, you know, spouse, you don't ask, we don't use the word consecrate, but it's actually a really beautiful word for what it means. It means to set apart as holy, to be set apart for a purpose. It's something that implies complete, entirely, dedication. Um, Consecrated was, was a word that they would also uh, use for priests, like when they'd anoint him with oil, they'd set, set him apart for service to God. You'd be consecrated. Um, in this case, the word implies a purification process. So I'm wondering, why this, why now? Well, it's no surprise that Joshua would command his people to do this before an, uh, anticipating a big move of God because... Forty years ago, Joshua witnessed that Moses did this with his people, and I wanted us to take a look at this crazy story out of Exodus 19. So this is what happened. Now, the people um, had just left, uh, had exited Egypt, and it had been about three months, and now they're in the desert of Sinai, and Moses is with the people, and the Lord says this to him in verse 10. He says, and the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Jumping ahead to verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast and everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. I mean, can you imagine this? Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it with fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. I was just thinking, they didn't need any of Cliff's wood for that. And the whole mountain trembled violently. So you don't even, you don't just have people that have been trembling in fear. God is making an entire mountain tremble. And it says violently. And then a sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. And Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. Who'd want to go to the top of the mountain after that? I tell you what. So this is the story of what happened, like this, this incredible manifestation of God's presence. And Moses wanted his people to be prepared internally for an experience and an encounter with God. And so he said, consecrate yourselves. And part of what they did to consecrate was like an outward demonstration of watch, washing their clothes. He even said, I want you to abstain from any sexual relations as well. I mean, there was all these kinds of things that he said, I want you to be ready for when God shows up on this mountain. So my question is, as we're coming back to our story with Joshua, what is it about this purification process that readies the people for a move of God? Why would he have them do it? Because he says tomorrow it's going to happen. It's not like they have a lot of time. It's as though Joshua is saying something amazing is going to happen tomorrow, and I want you to be ready for it. I want you to be in a position to experience it. I want you to be in the right frame of mind. 
And this was a spiritual, again, this was a spiritual conquest for Joshua and the, and the Israelites, and probably more so than it was physical. This wasn't going to be anything that would inquire, you know, include human engineering to pull it off. God was going to have to make it happen. And so Joshua says, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Now, notice what he's not saying. He's not saying, if you consecrate yourselves, then the Lord will do amazing things among you. It's not cause and effect. It's not an if-then. It's not something like, if you do this, you're going to get this reward. Now, sometimes we prefer that, don't we? We want this formula, like, just tell me what to do, and then, you know, God, you're going to show up and do something amazing. No, Joshua is saying, tomorrow This is going to happen. But before it does, get yourselves ready for it. Do business with Yahweh, because I want you to be ready to see it. Center yourself. Clear out the stuff that's polluting your mind or crowding out things of God, because this posture will better help you to be able to experience the wonder to come. You know, it reminds me of the words of Jesus when he said in the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And I've always kind of been, just kind of marveled at those words, and I've wondered, what is it? What is it about a pure heart that helps us see God? Because I I would love the eyes to be able to see and notice him and his activity. But I think there's something about a pure heart that kind of clears the channels, that sharpens our vision, that helps us to see the divine. And it's this pureness of heart that I think helps keeps us grounded, helps make us trustworthy, and able to handle not just challenges or hard things that come our way, but it helps us to handle success too. It helps us to be able to handle the good things that come our way. So Joshua had a lifetime of learning from Moses. He had a lifetime of learning what it meant to be consecrated, to be totally and wholly devoted to God. And this was something that dramatically influenced his leadership. And he understood that to go somewhere new, it was imperative to move, to follow, and to dedicate. It was important to be able to move from their positions, to know that you can't always just be settled and set in your ways. He knew that in order to be able to get to where they needed to go, they had to follow their one true God. They had to follow Yahweh, often into territory they didn't know where they were going. And they knew that they had to be consecrated, or we'll use the word dedicated today, to dedicate themselves all over again to the Lord, to be cleansed in body, soul, mind, and spirit. Again, this was both a physical and a spiritual mission. God and man working together to bring us into somewhere new. And you may say, well, what happened? What's the rest of the story? Well, I'll let you you read that today. But these words, I, I just wonder, as Joshua followed through with this part of his assignment, I just wonder, you know, as they approached the banks of the overflowing banks of the Jordan, if he remembered the words of Moses to him earlier that said, Joshua, the Lord himself goes before you and he will be with you. 
He will never leave you nor forsake you, so do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. So where do we find ourselves in the story today? And I want us to think about it not just in the personal level, but in a corporate level as well. On a personal level, I guess I'm just wondering, you know, where is there a place in your life that maybe you've been camping out a little too long? And maybe today's the invitation to move out from your position. And, and is there someone or something that will help you to be able to do that, to move forward? So an area that you need to, a person you need to follow to help you get there. And what is dedication going to look like? How's your lifestyle or, or choices or priorities going to need to change? Uh, to be transparent with you, uh, many of you know this journey with my back has been long and tiring and discouraging at times. And um, <clears throat> I have learned over and over again that uh, without accountability, I, I'm not going to go to the gym and get stronger because I just don't have the self-discipline to do it. And so <clears throat> I said, okay, I really, I really have to, to find people that I need accountability and I need some help to be able to do this. And so when I hear the words, move, <laughs> follow, and dedicate, you know, the bed can get really comfortable in the morning, can't it? So can the couch. Yesterday, it was snowing, and the last thing I wanted to do was to get out of the house and go to the gym and do the workout because I knew that if I didn't do it, then my trainer next week would say, did you do your workout? And I'd have to say no, and I wasn't going to do that. So I had to move out from my position in the coziness of my apartment, and I had to go. I did my workout, and I got to the end, <laughs> As I was grabbing my shoes and leaving, I heard this voice from the back of the gym. Yeah, Elise, two this week. And I was like, you know, and part of that was, this is pathetic, just twice. But for me, that was a step in the right direction. And so we celebrate incremental growth, right? And uh, small victories. So I was like, yeah. And I realized it was the first time in two years since I hurt my back again that I did that, and so I celebrated that. But it took moving and it took following, meaning someone that was gonna help me do it and get it done, and it's taken some dedication and some rearranging of my priorities, my resources, all the things. You guys get it. So that's just one really super practical example, but it could be in our spiritual life too. Like are there places that we feel stuck? We're like, I've been camping out here a little too long. It's time for me to move. And what's gonna, who's going to help me get out from my position? And who do I need to follow because I've never been this way before? On a corporate level, we are very much heading somewhere new together, aren't we? I mean, we're being invited to head into an unknown territory this year. We're trusting God for a newly pastor. We're trusting God for a new staff. We're trusting God that he's going to help us clarify our vision and direction as our church. We're trusting God that he's going to help us navigate all these unknowns and surprises that come our way. I mean, we have a lot that we're trusting God for as we're moving together towards somewhere new. And I think how well we do this will depend in part by how we apply some of these principles from Joshua 3. And some of these are questions that I've been asking myself as I think about our church. Question one, I'm, I'm asking God, where do we need to move out from our position so that we can better follow you into what's to come? Maybe that's a position of preference. 
Maybe that's a position of comfort. Maybe that's positions of, well, it's the way we've always done it. And maybe God's saying, no, I have something new. Are we willing to be open-handed and open-minded with what's next? Another question I've, I've asked is, are we determined to follow God and God alone on this adventure? And not to get ahead of him. Not to try to control a situation. Not to try to assume we know best. But what is it going to look like to seek his presence together with one another and to follow him where he's leading? And then there's the area of our own hearts, of our own dedication and consecration to God. What needs to be realigned? What needs to be rededicated? What is maybe holding us back or clouding our vision? And we can learn a lot about that by like where we spend our time and our thoughts and our affections and our priorities. You know, what, what gets us fired up? What gets us energized? And so those are windows into what matters most. You know, we can be consecrated to a lot of different things and not God. And so the invitation today is to reevaluate, is he the one that we're truly, holy, and completely dedicated to as a church? Now, thankfully, since we live on this side of the resurrection, we got it way better than the Israelites, okay? We don't have to follow God in a half a mile distance and not get too close because God says, draw near. I want you to draw near. And we don't have to perform these silly rituals or things and hoops to jump through. Jesus says, I've already taken care of it and you're clean. It reminds me of a passage in Hebrews 10, 19 through 23 that I want to read to you. The writer says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, most holy place was where the Ark of the Covenant was housed, remember? So he says, uh, By a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. So the death of Jesus opened up a new way, opened up access for us to encounter God. And since we have a great high priest, which is Jesus, over the house of God, he says this, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with a pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. God is saying, you can draw near to me. You don't have to let guilt or shame or anything or any part of your conscience or any part of your past, nothing. I've, I've cleansed you. If you are someone, it says, the full assurance that faith brings. If we've placed our faith and our trust in Jesus, this is a promise that we have and that we can draw near to God. And I love it how it ends. Let us hold unswervingly to what? To hope to the hope we profess, because he who promised is faithful. Moses said, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. He's saying this is going to be a work of God. And likewise, we read here, God has promised to be faithful to us, and he will do it. To close today, I just wanted to lead us into a, uh, a prayer of dedication and I will go, I'm going to read the prayer first, and you can listen to it. And then um, if it's something that kind of reflects your heart today, 
and you want to say it along with me, then we'll, I'll, I'll read it a second time, okay? So I'll just say it first. God, I desire to be fully and purely yours. Rid me of false pursuits that are not of you. Empty me of the empty things of this world. Realign my heart and mind to yours. Fill me with your loving spirit, and may I follow hard after you. And if this reflects a desire of you today, you can pray it along with me. God, I desire to be fully and purely yours. Rid me of false pursuits that are not of you. Empty me of the empty things of this world. Realign my heart and mind to yours. Fill me with your loving spirit, and may I follow hard after you. Amen. Let me pray. God, I'm so thankful that we have stories like this to inspire us and to show us what a life of devotion, complete commitment to you looks like. Thank you for the life of Joshua. Thank you that he was a leader that called people to a high place of knowing you and um, being a part of your incredible plan for their life. And God, I pray that we can um, take these principles today into our life and to think about places that we need to move, places that we need to follow you more wholeheartedly, places where we perhaps need to ask for help and ask for other people to help us get to a new place. And most of all, Lord, I pray that you would capture our hearts all over again, that this would be a year where we are fully and purely devoted to following hard after you. I pray that you bless each person today as they leave. Let them know that they're deeply loved and cared for. Your precious name, amen. Want to stand with me? Just want to remind you uh, the worship night this Wednesday. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, 6.30. Um, hope to see you there. And it looks like uh, we might have a little bit of time yet here before you pick up your kids. So just uh, watch the time. And you can get to know somebody new or chat with some friends uh, before you do that. May I leave you with the words that Moses left to Joshua as you leave today. The Lord himself goes before you, and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Go in peace.